But today, we're going to focus our attention to the book of Ruth. We're going to be journeying through the book of Ruth for the next four messages that, that I get to preach. And we're going to ch- cover the four chapters of the book of Ruth. And the Ru- book of Ruth is a short narrative. It's a short story. And the theme of the book of Ruth is providence. Providence. You're asking, Pastor, what is providence? What is providence? Well, let's use a metaphor here or a kind of a picture of a divine author. God is the author of everything that has taken place in human history. And in essence, providence is the pen that he uses to write history or his story. And the divine author's script blends every event of life, talking about providence. He brings together every human action, human thought, human word that's spoken, every act of obedience or disobedience to him. He uses all of that. He even uses every relationship that humans have, either good or bad. Glories to God or sinful. Everything from the prominent or the famous to the obscure in the countryside. God uses everything to script his story. He even uses joy and suffering as we're going to see through the book of Ruth. He takes the good, the bad, and the ugly to accomplish his beautiful story. And he uses everything in the universe, the weather patterns, all natural disasters, diseases, everything that follows a course of natural law. As I've quoted before, R.C. Sproul has said, there are no maverick molecules. Everything, every single molecule, every single atom is doing exactly what God told it to do. And he merges the global, global circumstances of life, economy, cultural trends, political agendas, kings and emperors. He uses all that. God uses all that. And brings it together to draft his story. And, uh, and, and really, the entire Bible is about providence in terms of redemptive history, how God uses everything to usher in Christ to save his people. And the book of Ruth displays the providence of God, but not in the palace of kings. This doesn't happen in, in high society, but in the ordinary lives of people trying to make it in this world just basically trying to meet the needs of common life. So we get to see God's invisible hand moving in the lives of visible, real people. And why is this so important to me? And I think it's important to you because the more we can recognize the hand of God in our lives, the more we could trust him, the more we could be encouraged in him. And God does not give himself one line, not even one line in the book of Ruth. And he is the author, but he is the main character of this story. We may have Ruth, we may have Naomi, we may have Boaz and other people later on, but God himself is the main character. So we're going to focus in on the author as we see Ruth uh, uh, played out here for the next four sermons. And so we're going to be out of the book of Ruth, and I'm going to actually take the time to read Ruth chapter 1. Since it's a lengthier section, 
uh, it's okay that we just remain seated, okay? And I'm just ta- I'm gonna, I'm gonna be reading on the NASB version and read Ruth chapter one verses one to twenty-two, okay? And this is the uh, story of Ruth written by God. Verse one. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Mahalon and Kilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard that the land of Moab, in the land of Moab, that the Lord Yahweh had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went out on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord Yahweh grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed him, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my room that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight, also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord Yahweh has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord Yahweh do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she, Naomi, saw that she was Determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, the women said, is that Naomi? She said to him, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord Yahweh has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Verse 22. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the story of Ruth, Lord. Help us to see your invisible hand moving in the life of Ruth, in the life of Naomi. And Lord, help us to know you more so that we can recognize your hand in our own lives so that we will trust you and cherish you more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The prologue, this is the background to the story. And the first five verses covers the difficulties of providence. And as I thought about this story, a concept that a friend taught me says there's always a push and a pull in your life when you make drastic changes. And that certainly was the case when my family and I decided to take on full-time ministry. There was a push in coaching, but there was a greater pull in ministry. And as we look at the story of Ruth, let's see if we can identify what is, how is the Lord scripting pressure to go and how is the Lord scripting encouragement to pull Ruth and uh, Naomi forward. And so let's take a look here. Verse 1, it says, the push was this, the days of Judges. It was during the time of Judges. What does that mean? All we got to do is go back to the left one verse in Judges uh, chapter 20 and verse 25, it says this, in the days of Judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Look at that. This was a mark of divine judgment where there was lack of strong spiritual leadership. It was a relativistic era. No norms, no standards of morality. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar today for us? And it's a time of spiritual and social unrest. Israel was in a low spiritual climate, and the nation was divided. And here's some more push. And then there was this famine. Many commentators, according to Deuteronomy 28, 23 to 24, says that the famine was caused because of divine judgment. Israel was disobedient to God, walked away from his ways, walked away from Yahweh, their God, and there was judgment as, as Deuteronomy 28 promises. It wasn't really about food or rain. It was really a famine, a, a spiritual famine in the land of Israel. And then the, and then the Lord strips in a pool to leave Bethlehem. Whether it was right or wrong, there was a pool. And Elimelech hears that there's food and that the famine is localized in Israel. So what does he do? He picks up his family, his wife Naomi and his two sons, and they move out to Moab, east of Bethlehem. They leave. They leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, because the house of bread was empty. There was no food for them. And Verse 1 says they, they sojourned in the land of Moab. Well, what that concept means to sojourn is that I am an alien. I'm a visitor of the land of Moab. Now the issue, starting from verse 2, says this. At the end of verse 2, they entered the land of Moab and remained there. The author clearly says, and they remained there. This is an indication that no longer were they in the sojourning mindset where, oh, this place is pretty nice. There's food. Cheap land, we could stay out here, we could raise our family, perhaps. Perhaps. Well, providentially, things get bad. As we see, verse 3, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Elimelech dies. The author doesn't say how he died, why he died, but he died. And this is a devastating turn of events for Naomi. 
as Elimelech undoubtedly was her provider. And she's devastated, as you could imagine, anyone who's lost a husband. But she's thinking, well, God's given me two sons, and these sons could support me and, and have children someday, and, and then I'll have a future. We'll continue the family line through the sons. And then what does verse 4 say? Verse 4 says, Mahalon and Kilion take on Moabite, Moabite wives. Anyone who understands some of the Old Testament would kind of wonder, hmm, was that okay? Was that pleasing to the Lord? Regardless, they're establishing deeper roots into Moabite soil. They're supposed to just sojourn there now. They found Moabite wives. And they ended up living there for 10 years, the Bible says here, about 10 years. But then providence moves again, and things go from bad to worse. What happened? Verse 5, Then both Mahalon and Kilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her children and her husband. See, church family, this is a devastating turn of events. It was bad enough that Elimelech died, husband died, but when the two sons died, Naomi was in a legitimate crisis. And... Uh, this is a patriarchal culture where basically the men supported the family, the men provided the protection, the spiritual leadership. And without any husbands or sons, she had, Naomi was left with no future, no covering, no hope. She's devastated. And keep in mind, church, this is before the days of trades that people could learn and, and, and to support themselves. This is the days before uh, college degrees. This is the days before life insurance and those sort of uh, 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 nets that we have today. None of that. It was a very devastating time. What was she going to do? What, was she gonna, what would you have done in that situation? Can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what that might have been like for her. What thoughts that were coursing through her mind, racing through her mind. Well, Dale Ralph Davis points out how frightening it is to see that in only five verses, five verses, our entire lives can be changed. This is true for Naomi, what happened, but this is also true for any of us. It won't even take five verses, it'll take one verse to change our lives forever. I mean, in, in Ruth, there's a famine, there's a death of a husband, death of two sons, but today... I mean, in some ways, we could have everything planned out. I got my five-year plan. This is my 10-year plan. This is how I'm going to retire. This is where I hope to live someday when I retire. We think we understand how life works. We read all the books. We talked to all the smart people, and this is how we're going to do our life. All it takes is one cancer diagnosis, one car accident, one act of evil, one act of terror, one virus to put our lives on pause. Or your company moves to a different state all of a sudden. The higher-ups decided to do that or to downsize. All it takes is one divorce and, and our lives are changed. Well, death and setbacks are part of living in a fallen world. That's why we need to really drill down and to understand the book of Ruth. It is sobering. And, and death of family members are always difficult. For those who have died, who are in Christ, we know they're in heaven. There's gospel hope in heaven. 
But really the challenge goes to those who are left behind. Is it not, church? Where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? I mean, some thoughts, some, some issues. How do I even relate to remaining relationships? You know, he used to pay all the bills. Or she managed the home. She was a ringleader for family events. She was the glue that kept the relationships together, kept the kids coming back, seeing each other, even as adults. He spearheaded the family traditions. He was the spiritual leader of the family. Where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? Well, returning back to Naomi, she may have been thinking, I lost everything. My Elimelech and my boys are gone. This word in verse 5, her two children, this is a very unique word that the author Ruth uses. My, her two children were gone. This talks about not grown men. These are my babies. Naomi had to bury her husband and her two boys, adult boys. I have no future, and our family line is dead with my two boys who I had to bury. How am I going to care for my two daughters-in-law? In fact, how am I going to do this to my, for myself in Moab? I'm a foreigner. How's this going to work out? We left Bethlehem because of the famine so we could find food. Now I'm stuck in Moab with nothing. Where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? Well, that's where scene one shifts and the Lord starts unfolding his plan. Scene one covers verses six through 18. And in the chapter, in the first chapter of Ruth, I think it's important to understand certain things here. Scene one is talking about the response to providence. This is what Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth do to, in response to this hard providential moment for them. But in Ruth chapter 1, a dominant theme keeps reoccurring. So whenever we read narratives, church, you got to see, where is the author constantly repeating himself? That is, the author's driving home a point. And the word return, the word return, I think you heard me saying it a little bit louder when I was reading the text. The word return is used 12 times in the chapter, uh, in the first chapter, 12 times. In my version, it's return, gone back, turned back, brought me back. But it's all the same Hebrew word, though, that the author is using. So the repetition is telling us the emphasis of chapter 1 is a return, a homecoming, so to speak. And providentially, verse 6, let's turn our eyes to verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that Yahweh, or the Lord, had visited his people and given them food. There was a big push, right, for Naomi to return back home. All her, the men in her life died. And she's a foreigner in Moab. No family, no friends. How is she going to do it? Massive push. Providentially, God is providing through his hand. But also God's hand was also providing a pool back to Bethlehem, a return. Because she heard providentially that Yahweh had brought food back to Bethlehem. See, Yahweh was showing his hand, the God of Israel, the God that we worship. He was pulling back the curtain some and is revealing his invisible hand. He was showing that he never forgets about his people. God never forgets about his people. 
He's a faithful God. Although they were under judgment, God was, has determined it was time now to bring back food to Bethlehem. And verses 8-9, Naomi spends those verses and even beyond, and she cares for his, her daughters. Keep in mind now, Naomi is distraught. This is the hardest point of her life. She's confused. She's scrambling. She's in scramble mode. And she's not, perhaps she's not even thinking correctly here because the advice that she gives is not what a follower of Yahweh would give, nor would any Christian give to, to someone who's going through a decision. But she gives very practical, worldly, practical, pragmatic advice. And she was, she was feeling the pain of what she lost in the situation. I'm a widow in a foreign land. Girls, you don't want to be a widow in Bethlehem where you're going to be a foreigner. Girls, trust me, I'm much older than you. You have your whole lives ahead of you. You don't want to come back with me. You need to return back to Moab, to, to your people and to your gods, she would tell Ruth later on. I mean, the pain must have been so devastating that she didn't want the girls to experience this. She knew how hard it was to be a foreigner in Moab as a widow. Because you don't, you don't want to do this. You don't want to relive this moment. I'm too old. I'm done. I have no future. I hope I have a relative that will give me some food and I'll be able to live somehow. She even goes on to say in verse 11, I don't have any children. I, no one's going to marry me. And if I could have children, would you wait for them to become grown-ups to marry them? Of course you wouldn't. And of course I'm not going to get married to have any more children. I'm too old. And I believe that Naomi had a genuine affection for her girls. Verse 8, she says, May the Lord Yahweh deal kindly with you. This word kindly is hesed. May the Lord show you his gracious love. Verse 9 says, May the Lord Yahweh grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. May the Lord grant you a husband so you can live your lives and move on from this devastating family that you joined. Therefore, return back to Moab. And this is the advice that she gives. Considering the situation, that's all she could offer up to her girls. And another form of motivation she gives for them to return, as a matter of fact, verse 13, for the hand of the Lord Yahweh has gone forth against me. God is judging me. God is judging me. You do not want to be tied to me, girls. Some of that wrath might spill over to you guys. Whereas if you're apart from me, perhaps the Lord will deal kindly with you. This word, this phrase, excuse me, the hand of the Lord or the hand of Yahweh has gone forth against me. This phrase is an Old Testament phrase associated with God's judgment. So Ruth, uh, Naomi's thinking, God's judging me. Perhaps he's not happy that I went to, uh, we went to Moab. Perhaps he's not happy that I let you marry Moabite women. Perhaps he's not happy. God is not happy that we spent 10 years here. He's punishing me. Is Naomi correct? Is Naomi correct? Is she suffering the consequences for her disobedience? Or simply experiencing the difficulties of living in a fallen world? Which is it? Well, commentators debate over this question. I've read 
numerous commentaries and both solid commentators on both sides. Those who think that she is being punished said that the the covenant people of Israel or Yahweh should not leave the promised land to go to a foreign land. By These commentators will also say by going to Moab, they're basically coming under their god, Chemosh, and putting their trust in him. They, they would also mention to allow the, their sons to marry Moabite women was also a violation. We don't know for sure, though. I, I don't know for sure. There's a lot of circumstances, a lot of details in there that we don't know. And the author doesn't explicitly say, and, and, and wise counsel that I got was, since the author doesn't make it clear, that's not the author's main point here. So whatever the reason why the hand of the Lord or the hand of God was against or Naomi, providence is returning Naomi back home. This is the whole point. God was interested in having Naomi come back home. Naomi definitely had a biblical view of God's sovereignty and God's providence. She didn't have a pagan view of like chance or luck. You know, this is like, this was bad luck. She doesn't attribute it to that. She just said she knows exactly who's in control and Yahweh is and she goes there with it. And so for the girls, there's a fork in the road. Have you been there before, church, where you have a choice on what to do now? Your mother-in-law has just blessed you to go. Hey, I bless you. Please, almost begging, you need to go. Perhaps that might have been a relief for Naomi. That's one less mouth or two less mouths to feed. Should I stay or should I go? The girls are thinking. This is significant. This is a life-altering decision here. In verse 10, it was hard. It wasn't a clear-cut choice for the girls. And they said to know, but we will surely return with you to your people. They were good women. Verse 8 says that they were kind to their husbands and kind to Naomi. And they suffered together. Keep in mind that the girls and Naomi had to bury their husbands as they were all there together. Something about suffering galvanizes their hearts. That's what it did. Well, verse 14, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. It was a hard, emotional moment. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. What did Orpah do? Orpah kissed her goodbye. This is not a, a s- small thing. This is a goodbye forever. I love you. And Naomi's pragmatic reasoning pulled her to return to Moab. Made sense to her. I, I get it, Mom. I get it, Naomi. I understand. And, and the author doesn't give her any fault. To no fault to her at all. Orpah returned back to Moab never to be mentioned again. And then Ruth, what did Ruth do? Verse 14, but Ruth clung to her like, no, I am going to be with you no matter what. And in verse 15, Naomi urges her, gives her one last surge here. Then he said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back or returned to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She did the right thing. Don't you see, Ruth? Your sister did the wise thing. She gave herself a chance to live. 
So therefore, Ruth, return back to your family, return back to your neighborhood, go back to your support network, where you're going to have a chance. You're going to have a future in Moab. You have nothing, absolutely nothing, waiting for you in Bethlehem. And this, these verse 16 and 17 is, is some of the most memorable pieces of scripture in all the Bible. Perhaps any married couples, this is a, 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 a vow or a covenant vow that you made to one another. And this is what Ruth says to Naomi. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. He identifies which God she's joining. Thus may the Lord Yahweh do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth's heart is pulled to return to Bethlehem. By God's grace. See, you see, Ruth identified with Yahweh and identified as being an Israelite now. You see, as just like Paul talks about it in the New Testament, it's not about outward circumcision, but it's a, it's a matter of the heart. Ruth gave herself, her membership was now with Yahweh and Yahweh's people. I want to be with Yahweh and his people. Isn't this not how Christians think? Christians who are in Christ want to be with other Christians. This is why we gather on the Lord's Day. This is why we like to be with one another. And it's not always perfect, but this is why we're drawn to one another. And really, as Ruth is, says these incredible uh, 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 lines here, Exodus 6-7 who is the author of these lines? I would say God himself. Exodus 6-7, Yahweh himself speaks to Moses and says, you will be my people and I will be your God. This is the promise right out of Yahweh's mouth. And in a sense, Yahweh is using Ruth to speak his hesed love to Naomi. In the darkness of Naomi's life, I mean, this is as dark as it gets. God is using a mobile to speak gospel love to her. Hesed love. Love that God is from God. What is Hesed love? Pastor Kenny talked about it a few months ago out of the Psalms. Hesed love is love of commitment, loyal love. Love that is committed to the interests of the other. It's not about the giver, it's about how can I love on this person? Through Ruth, Yahweh's providence is showing his light of love upon Naomi. I mean, this is as dark as it gets. And this, God graciously moves Ruth, scripts Ruth to show him, show her the hesed love that he has for Naomi. To show, perhaps whisper to her, that he never forgot about her. Through Ruth. Like I said, God has no actual lines in Ruth, but... Perhaps he's even screaming to Naomi how much he loves her. 
And like I said earlier, Ruth basically transferred her membership from Moab to Israel, from her old family to Naomi, and in essence, Chemosh, the pagan god, to Yahweh, the one and true living God, the God that we worship. And, and Naomi responded, Can you recognize our Lord's love for you? Providentially, has God, God showed his, his Hesed love for you through people recently or in the past, through people providing a meal? through people giving you a phone call or a text or dropping a note to you, through people who've shown you loyalty when everyone else has abandoned you for whatever reason, maybe through people who see, know you so well that they know you're in sin, they lovingly call you to repent. That's love. Through people who are call, praying for you constantly. Perhaps... God has shown his hesed love to you through people who are, who are kind to your children. Right? Maybe perhaps you, you think, man, my child is having a hard time fitting in, but these people are showing some kindness and extra attention to my child. You see, brothers and sisters, life circumstances are out of our control, but what makes life so rich, what makes life so sweet is relationships, the love that we experience to one another. That's why Jesus said, They'll know you, my disciples, by how you love one another. That's the love. Verse 18, how does Naomi respond to this? I think she's still in shell shock moment. And, and, and verse 18 says, when she saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Okay, I'm not going to convince you anymore. Let's get on this 50-mile journey through the wilderness, and, and God willing, we'll make it to Bethlehem alive which is a significant task for two women to be traveling alone from Moab to Bethlehem. But providentially, we shift to scene two here, which covers 19, verse 19 through 22. And we, we're going to take a look at the veiled nature of providence, the veiled nature of providence. Providentially, the, they make it, which is amazing in itself. They made it back to uh, Bethlehem. And the people, as they came to the front gate, were saying, is that Naomi? Is that really her? This woman looks older and looks tired and she really has a sad look in her eye. That's not the Naomi I remember. I remember Naomi had a lot of energy. She stood tall. She had a bright look in her eye. But there's something different about this woman. But it sure looks like her. I sure, we were, don't you remember when the famine hit? Naomi and Elimelech and the boys, they, they left while the rest of us stayed here. And why is this woman traveling alone? No, no, she's not alone. Like, who's that next to her? It, are, are they traveling together? Who's this woman? And then, undoubtedly, as they're walking by, Naomi probably caught wind of this and Verse 20, she, Naomi, said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty, Shaddai, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since 
the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty Shaddai has afflicted me. Naomi was broken. Naomi, the, her name means pleasant, but she was anything but pleasant inside. This has been a difficult time for her. Where was Naomi at? Well, as Pastor Ron read Romans 8.28, this is, that's a signature verse in the New Testament about God's providence, but also God's providence promises that he uses all things for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Naomi could not see any good in this, and I don't blame her. I don't think you would either. Where's the good in all this? All she could, she had though, which is an encouragement, she had an orthodox view of God. She didn't say it was bad luck. She knew that God was sovereign, that God controls providence. That was right. She knew that. She had that nailed. But what she couldn't see was the grace of God in her life. So much pain. But I want to just zero in on one line here at verse 21. She says to the people at the gate in Bethlehem at her homecoming, I went out full, but the Lord Yahweh has brought me back, which is true, but she adds in empty. Is this a true statement? Church, is this a true statement? No, this is not a true statement. True that Yahweh brought her back, but not empty. There was someone right next to her who gave her entire life to her and covenanted to live and die with her. Ruth. Ruth. Hesed love is expensive, church family. It's costless. I mean, it's, it's thankless and it's very costly. Parents, you know how this feels, raising children. Sometimes that's what it feels like. Or perhaps you're taking care of your aging parent right now who can't even remember your name. There is no return. Perhaps you're married to a non-believing spouse and you're trying to hesitate love him or her, but they don't get it. And they keep questioning why you go to church, why you read the Bible, why you keep giving thanks to God, why you spend your time praying. That's not encouraging to keep loving someone that way. Perhaps you covenanted, just like Ruth, to, to be faithful to your husband or your wife and they left you. That's not encouraging. Hesed love is expensive, could be thankless, and really, like I said earlier, you're promising to do what's best for the other person. It's what's best for the other person. That's how God loves us. So providence has a veiled nature. I mean, Ruth must have been thinking this like, wait a minute, Naomi, I mean... What was that talk that I gave to you in the wilderness? I mean, you didn't really re respond, but I thought that kind of hit you. How about me just serving all these 50-mile walk back to Bethlehem? I got water for you. I tried to find some food for us. Nothing? Nothing? Well, to give Naomi some covering here, I mean, just understand, the pain is indescribable. She probably didn't say one or two words on that trip back. 
She couldn't see Ruth. She was dealing with what's going on inside her mind and her heart, seeing only what's in front of her. She couldn't forecast ahead. There was no five, ten-year plan for her. It was just step by step by step by step, rehashing what had happened. Perhaps even questioning, should we have gone? Should we have left? Should we have stayed in Bethlehem? Am I cursed for the rest of my life? What's going on? I mean, those are the thoughts flowing through her mind. Although Ruth was there giving her, embracing her, showering her with Yahweh's love, she couldn't feel it. She couldn't. She couldn't. She was in survival mode. You could understand that. But, 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 Naomi was still dealing with Yahweh. Naomi was still wrestling with God. Despite the great pains that she was feeling, she, she did not deny God. She did not deny Yahweh. You see, what makes Ruth such a powerful story is this. Ruth is a real story that actually happened in the time of the judges of real people, Naomi and Ruth, in the hands of the real God. We could relate to this, church. You see, what the Lord is looking for is a genuine faith. Not a perfect faith. Naomi was still engaging with Yahweh, the God of Israel. And as I, what came to mind as I was thinking about how can I best describe what this looks like, what this feels like, my mind was drawn to Psalm 19. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Psalm 13. Excuse me, Psalm 13. This is a Psalm of David. As we know, David went through many trials. His own family members tried to kill him. King Saul tried to kill him. Although he was living in a palace, it wasn't an easy life. And throughout the various trials, David writes this psalm. Psalm 13, the 13th Psalm, verse 1. Perhaps this is how you feel now or you felt this way. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Where are you, Yahweh? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? Meaning, how long shall I rehash this and try to figure this out in my own mind? Reliving these moments, replaying the tapes of pain in my mind, in my heart. How long will my enemy, enemy be exalted over me? Verse 3, consider and answer me. Please, Yahweh, oh, oh Yahweh, my God, answer me. Show me a little something. L help me make sense of what's taking place. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. I'm going to die. This is so hard. I can't take this anymore. Perhaps this is where Naomi was feeling. And if we could look into her mind and her heart, perhaps this is what we would see. But David, in verse 5, says this, But I have trusted in your hesed love, loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You see, Naomi did return. She didn't stay in Moab. She wasn't buried in Moabite soil. She returned to Bethlehem. She was still referencing Yahweh as being sovereign 
although she might have been off on the reasons, but we understand how hard it must have been. But she never disengaged with Yahweh. See, providence was veiled to her, but she knew Yahweh was holding the pen in writing his story that she got to play a part in. You see, if you're in that situation right now, church, there's way worse places you could be than this. Meaning, as long as you're wrestling with God, Jesus, show yourself. Help me to understand. Lead me to the scriptures. Bring someone to help me make sense of this. I'm with you. I know you're with me, but I don't see Romans 8.28. How is this good in my life? Jesus, help me understand. Because she wasn't at verse 6 of, of Psalm 13. She wasn't ready to do this. I will sing to the Lord Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. Bitterness, Mara. Naomi, real life, real person. That's why Ruth is such a powerful story. You see, we're going to see here as we journey through the chapters that it wasn't necessarily about Naomi nor Ruth. But let's see what happens here as we close out this chapter, verse 22 of, Naomi, uh, of Ruth 1. So Naomi returned. Mission accomplished. God will get what he needs to get done. It will happen. He holds the pen. He holds the pen. And with her Ruth, the Moabitess, an unlikely partner for Naomi, but nonetheless, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. Now this word returned, I, said, I mentioned that's a prominent word in, in this chapter, where it's used 12 times, but this word returned, church, has this meaning of coming back home. What do you mean Ruth is coming back home? This is not a homecoming for her. She's a Moabite. She doesn't speak the language. She doesn't speak Hebrew. She doesn't know the culture. But guess what? Ruth was coming home because she was a lover and follower of Yahweh now. And she wanted to be with the people of God. See, it's a matter of the heart, church. It's a matter of the heart. Do you love Christ? Life isn't perfect, but is your love for Christ genuine? It's about the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. And we're going to see someday, or as we journey through Ruth, that Ruth was way more essential to Naomi, one, but also to all of us someday. Naomi needed to go to Moab to bring Ruth back to Bethlehem. And let's just finish out verse 22. And they returned at the beginning of barley harvest. Sure enough, Yahweh had visited his people. Sure enough, that report of of the Lord Yahweh visiting his people was true. It was at the beginning of barley harvest. 
And in conclusion, church, on a personal level, as I was lost in Ruth all week long, and matter of fact, for a couple of weeks, I could think back to providence in my own life. Certain people, certain circumstances, certain moments of brokenness, where I felt the push and pull of things in life that God was applying to me, which led to big movements in my life. Big movements. You know, and certainly the biggest move is coming to Christ, how God used a push and a pull to get me to Christ. Back at the University of Southern California, those many years ago, he used hard things. At the, it felt hard to me, at least. But there was a pull to Christ. Or even after becoming a Christian, where certain trials, certain hardships have taken place, losing your job, having to move, so forth and so on. But how that drew me closer, how I, he was causing me to return to him even more. Because the more I think about providence of God in my life, I get greater joy. I, I, I trust him more. God, you got this. I only can see this. You got it. You got the whole picture. You got the whole story in mind. Can you think of providence in your life, church? You're not Ruth. You're not Naomi. We're not saying that. But I'm asking us, I'm drawing our eyes to the divine author, the one who holds the pen, and he's scripting out your life and how it fits in with everybody else. Can you see him having you return to him? Return home. Come back to me. Have you experienced a famine in your life? Certainly as a, as a culture or society, we, we've experienced certain types of famine. We've perhaps social interactions, activities that we like to do at one time. We can't do them. Hopefully things will start opening up. We've been worried about our physical health. We were always healthy and strong and fearless, and now we're riddled with fear all of a sudden. Finances aren't looking as good as they used to. Perhaps the Lord is pointing out things that we've been trusting in too much other than Yahweh himself, Jesus Christ. Return home. Turn back to Christ. Repent of these things. Remember the biggest decision that Naomi made was what? To take the first what? The step, first step. It starts with the first step. All that, all that means is that you turn away. You return to Christ. You repent of your sins. It's, Lord, I agree. I'm in sin. I've been making these things an idol in my life. My family, my work, my sport, whatever it is. My reputation. I repent. Going back to Naomi, although Naomi was finally home in Bethlehem, as my friend Michael Stanton points out, she was a million miles away from God, how she felt. She was there in Bethlehem, but there was no closeness with Yahweh at that time. All she knew was, I'm back home and I'm humiliated. Do you feel this way as you're sitting in church today? You're with God's people. This is Christ's church. Do you feel a million, ways, million miles away from God right now? Although you're physically here, 
Church, as, as we journey through Ruth, you're going to see it's a process. Let me encourage you in this way. Naomi never abandoned God. By God's grace, she never abandoned God. Stay with God. Wrestle with God. If you know you don't love him the way you should, and matter of fact, none of us do, but you're not satisfied with your spiritual life with Christ, ask for more of him in your life. Repent of these things. And perhaps if you're here, all of a sudden you know you're not a Christian. Your friends have invited you. Or perhaps you feel a tug in your heart that you need to go back to church and you know you're not in Christ. God has providentially brought you here to hear the word of God today. And all you need to do is take the first step because God is taking the trillions of steps to get to you through the gospel See, as Christians, we believe one fundamental message. It's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is the second member of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, who lived the the righteous life that you and I cannot, who took on human skin, who willingly went to the cross and took on the Father's wrath. He took on the eternal punishment that you and I deserve. Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine if you are called to be into the family. And three days later rose to life. And guess what? He promises to come back. He says at a John 14, do not be troubled. In my father's house are many mansions. And I go away to prepare a room for you. And he promises to come back again for you and me. This is our God. And if you were to believe in the message of Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, you, in essence, you agree that you are a sinner and you're going to turn to Christ as your Lord. And if you could say like Ruth said, you're my God. You will be saved, the Bible says. What could be greater than that? What love that the Lord is shining upon you right now? No greater love than that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your hesed love for us. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you adopted us as sons and daughters through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you're going to bring us back home to you someday. Thank you that Romans 8.28, that you cause all things for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, help us as a church. We believe. Help us to believe more. Lord, help us to recognize providence in our lives. Help us to recognize how you're moving in our lives so that we would trust you more and will grow in our faith in you more. Thank you for the hesed love that you have shown to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And help us to grow in your love for you. I pray for those who need to give their lives to you that they would do this. And they would repent of their sins and trust in you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. They would say, my God, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that they will tell the person that they brought. They'll tell one of the pastors. They'll tell somebody in this church. So thank you, Father. 
In Jesus' name, amen.